Open your Bibles to John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 39 to 42 this morning as we continue on in the narrative of the woman at the well and Jesus' interaction with her. We're now experiencing the fruit of Jesus who has both sown and reaped. We're going to experience in this account this morning the beginning of those who would continue to reap what Jesus had sown. Very good fruit and the good seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we read though, let's go to the Lord who has inspired and preserved this account for us to ask for His help and understanding. Father, again we come before You this morning. We lay our hearts before You. We lay our minds before You and we ask that You would touch and affect both by Your Word. By Your Word, the heavens and the earth were created. By Your Word, You have called Your people out of the world into life eternal in Your Son. By Your Word, You have healed. By Your Word, You have judged. By Your Word, in The Word, the living Word, that is, Your Son, Jesus Christ, You have now finally and fully spoken and provided our salvation and so father cause us to hear the word both living active saving piercing revealing this morning that like the woman at the well was instantly changed like the people in the village are being changed so May we be changed by the power of Your Word. By the power of the Word, Jesus Christ. And we ask all in His name and for His sake. Amen. Verse 39 reads, From that city, meaning the city of Sychar, where this woman is, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him Because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking Him to stay with them. And He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this One is indeed the Savior of the world. I begin this morning with a question. What is the most powerful thing that you can think of? The most powerful thing that you have ever experienced. Maybe it's a natural phenomenon. Maybe it's the power of a, of a natural instinct, such as a new mother's love for her baby, and we're blessed to have lots of babies around. And we see that powerful 
instantaneous, instinctual love. Maybe it's the computing advancements in the age in which we live. Those are powerful things that are able to do heretofore unthinkable things. Maybe the power that you think about is some mechanical development, some machine that has absolute power of crushing or drilling or something of the like. Maybe it's an emotion. Maybe it's an office or a title that comes to your mind when you think about the highest embodiment of power. And regardless of how we might answer those questions in our flesh and of all the the great earthly examples and illustrations we might put forth as an answer to that question, what is the most powerful thing that comes to our mind that we can imagine? Whatever and however you would have answered that question, let me assure you that in light of the text of Scripture before us this morning, you are wrong. Because the most powerful thought, the most powerful thing that we could possibly grasp or understand in this life is the very Word of God. The very Word of God is without question the most powerful force in the world because without the Word of God there would be no world. The Word of God has literally brought everything that is into existence. When God reveals Himself, things change. Even things that never existed before come into existence. Out of nothing they appear God's Word is the single most powerful force in all of eternity. And it will continue to be the most powerful force in all of eternity. And this morning in the text of Scripture before us, we see the power of God, the raw, unmitigated power of God through His Word unleashed in these people's lives. It is a force that changes lives. It is a force of divine revelation. And it is a force whose scope and whose breadth is uncomparable to anything else in our life. And so would you look with me first at verses 39 and 40 this morning as we see the force, the power of the Word of God in changed lives. From that city, the Bible reads, many of the Samaritans believed in Him. Because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. So when when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking Him, this, this powerful man who changed this woman, stay with us. Stay with them. And He graciously doesn't he condescends to them and stays with them for two days? Anyone reading and thinking through, and I hope that you're not just coming here and throwing your mind into neutral, but, but I hope you're engaged with where we are in this story. And I hope that you're thinking through the implications and the ramifications of all that we've learned thus far from this account. And, and, and I hope and I pray that you are moved 
by the conversion of this woman at the well. If her story doesn't move you, nobody's story is going to move you. This woman has experienced a powerful change in her life because of, directly, and she attributes it to this, the word of Jesus. Jesus didn't show up and just do something. Jesus showed up and spoke something. She attributes it to His words. We this morning must look at this account and say how powerful the Word of God is in her life, in that village's life, in our lives. And to rest in the confidence that is ours in the very Word of God. Now think with me for a moment about this woman. She is a pariah. She is known as having committed the most despicable kinds of sin that one could imagine. She has done something that is unnatural. That even the lost world hates. She's taking another woman's man. She is living outside of and breaking into sacred relationships that are not just Christian. They're not just biblical. They are part of the created order itself. And when you deny the created order, it is unnatural and it causes people to recoil. Just this week, we experienced that. As we took Weston over and got him all registered and college and the things you hear about and you see and are talked about when you get to experience those things in the culture firsthand it's shocking you go prepared to see certain things and you go prepared to hear certain things but when it confronts you face to face it's a game changer and it's not because we don't love sinners we do and it's not because we don't desire them to come to Christ. We do. But, but it's so unnatural for certain types of sin, particularly moral sins that are in every one of us. It is encoded in us. It's part of God's created design and order. Every culture in the world values such things and this woman has violated those she has taken men who were not hers she's lived with them in a way that even the pagans would say that's wrong and she is despised for such things She has robbed others of what God had given them. She has lived outside the bounds of what God determined. She had provoked anger and jealousy and hatred at the deepest levels because she has broken the most intimate of bonds. The ancient Jews had, in all likelihood, and would have, 
recalled a very similar story that had been penned for them centuries before, enshrined in their literature in Proverbs chapter 7. There is a woman, and it's not a pretty picture at all, and Solomon is instructing his son, avoid this woman at all costs. When she comes out into the street to call you, you run the other way. If there's a pack of lions on one end and she's on the other, choose the pack of lions. Run from her. She takes you down to hell. Avoid, my son, at all costs. And yet here's this woman. The embodiment of Proverbs 7. The embodiment of of all that we have been taught and instinctually know to avoid. And so by this stigma placed upon her, she was not only avoided by the village, but she began to avoid the village herself. Coming to the well at noon instead of at normal watering time. She has become persona non grata, an unwelcomed person in this village. The village was unwelcomed to her. And yet, she encounters Jesus. She encounters Jesus in such a way that He begins to speak to her. And she runs back to the very village who has deemed her a pariah. One to be marked and avoided. And she does not say to them, come and I want you to have the same experience I had. Does she? She runs into the city. A city of men whom she had called for in a previous despicable way, and now she calls to all of them, but she doesn't say, come to me. She says, come to a man, and you must come to this man because he says things. Because he has words that bring life. You think the water you drink is necessary, you haven't tasted yet what this man has to offer. So come and see a man who says everything that I've ever done. And I know I've mentioned this before, but the utter lack of shame in her words. She is bringing to their memory her sins, but it doesn't matter anymore because His words are sufficient to wash those sins away. She's not deterred. Come see a man and hear him speak. And so, against the backdrop of a woman whose life was like that, comes an entire village. Now this we've got to see. If it can change her, this is something we absolutely need to go and investigate For ourselves. And notice that the text says in verse 39 that already out of that city, it's very specific. It's very emphatic. It's not just any city. It is that city where she is known. Out of that city, many of the Samaritans were already believing in him. 
because of that woman's changed life, because of what she is saying Jesus said to her. Even more emphatic than the city is the fact that many have already believed if He can change her, then surely He is the Son of God. If He can work this in her, then He must be the Son of God. This is truly astounding. These people have never met Jesus. They've never been to church. They don't have a Bible. But here is a Savior who has invaded their space and changed what in their minds is the worst among them. And if He can do that, then certainly we've got to go see. And so many here, very early on in the account, they're already believing. Because of the testimony of a woman that gives credit to the power of the Word of God. Notice what she does. She very quickly deflects the attention to Jesus. She doesn't dwell on herself. She very quickly says, you need to meet Him. You don't need to hear my story. You all know my story. And the fact that I'm telling you that this man revealed my story and yet I'm no longer ashamed of that story, you've got to come meet him because of his word that changed everything. She testifies to the words Jesus said. They've not had the the benefit these people of meeting Jesus yet. But they're going to. But they have met His words and they've met His word through the testimony of this woman. Now I want you to think with me for just a moment about who these Samaritans are. These are the half-brothers and sisters of the Jewish people. They have their own religion. They have their own temple. They worship in their own place on Mount Gerizim. They have their own holy book. The first five books of the Bible, everything else you'll remember uh, to them was considered outside of the bounds of God-inspired literature. So here are people who not only met Jesus, they haven't even read the rest of the Old Testament like a Jew would have. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. Put on your thinking caps. And think to yourself, if I lived in this village, what would I know? What would would my frame of reference be? If all I had was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which was all the Samaritan Bible consisted of, they rejected everything else in the Old Testament as spurious. But if all I had was those five books, what would I know? Nothing of the Messiah in the Psalms. Nothing of Psalm 22. Nothing of Psalm 2. Nothing of those great predictions and pictures of Jesus yet to come from Psalms. Nothing in Isaiah. Nothing of a virgin who would give birth to a son in Bethlehem. Nothing of one who would come as the Prince of Peace. 
Nothing of the minor prophets who pointed so boldly and beautifully to Jesus. None of that is theirs. And yet here they are. With only five books that, in pointing to Christ, were not nearly as developed as the rest of the Old Testament was. But yet enough, and based on this woman's word, they come running to see Him who is the Son of God. Moved by her proclamation, her testimony, in the hands of the Holy Spirit, her her lack of fear, fear before God because of judgment, fear of man because of their judgmentalism, she calls them and they come with very little to work with, comparatively speaking. Moved by her testimony, they believe in Jesus. Now, before we grow too skeptical of the situation, And say, well, how can that be? I mean, if she didn't preach the Romans road, how could they possibly be saved? If she didn't exposit Galatians, how could they understand justification by faith alone? If she didn't go through all of the prophecies of the Messiah and the Old Testament, how could they possibly? I mean, this seems a little far-fetched. Brothers and sisters, never underestimate what the Spirit of God can do. He raises the dead. He creates everything out of nothing. And it's not too far removed from a conversation that we just looked at not that long ago in John chapter 3, verse 8. With Nicodemus, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus? Nicodemus is perplexed, he's confused, and he says, how can this be? This doesn't make any sense to me. This can't be right. And Jesus' response in verse 8 is this, right? The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going? Hey, Nicodemus. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Don't ever underestimate the power of God. Don't ever underestimate what God can do with little and make much out of. Hey, this woman didn't have a lot to work on. The villagers had less because they'd not even met Jesus. And yet they are willing to believe. Why? Because of the Spirit of God working in their hearts. Creating life where there was only death. Creating faith where there is only skepticism. She brings them to Jesus. What a testimony. A simple testimony pointing others to the Word of Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. What force! Notice, notice her, notice her basis. She's not a woman preacher, by the way. But if she were, 
Her text would have been, just come see a man who told me everything I did. That's, that's what I'm here to tell you. That's what it is. Come meet a man who enumerated my sins, who knew things I didn't even tell him about, that there are only two people on the face of the planet that know about me and the one I sinned with and against. And he knew about it. And he uncovered it. Come talk to him. What force that would convert these skeptics in this village. And not just a few, many believed. It's now not only the testimony of this woman that stands in sharp relief, but now it's the testimony of the villagers. Many of them are believing. The Spirit of God gives what, by any Natural reading of the four Gospels, the Spirit of God sends what is really one of the first, if not the first, revivals into this heretofore quasi-pagan village. The wind blows where it wishes, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can't schedule this. You can't hype this up. It is not emotional. It is a work of the Spirit of God. And He works. And how He works. Notice what the text says. Not only do they believe in Him, they embrace Him. They are begging Jesus. The language is intense. They are pleading with Jesus to stay with them. You see, this is a culture in which hospitality meant everything. The most intimate thing you could do with someone would be to eat with them. To share a meal together was considered a very intimate act of friendship, of fellowship, of unity with someone. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when the immoral young man is disciplined out of the church, he says, listen, don't eat with him. Why? Because that would be to show you embraced him in his sin. And here are these people who moments before this woman coming and calling them to look to Christ wanted nothing to do with a Jewish Messiah. They had their own Tahib, they would call him, that they waited for. But nothing of these Jews. And yet, here they come running to Jesus. And not only running to Jesus, but begging Him to come into their homes and to stay in their midst and share hospitality with Him. It's reminiscent of John chapter 1 when, when Jesus is being introduced to us by John the Baptist and by the ministry and the first calling of the disciples in John one thirty eight, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and stayed with him that day. An overnight, all night conversation with Jesus. So they're now begging Jesus to do the same. Jesus, you stay with us. And remember, this is a very, not only scandalous thing to do as a Samaritan reaching out to a Jew, but this is a Jewish rabbi. 
certainly scandalous in their culture. And they bring Jesus in and they want to talk with Jesus. And I want you to notice at the very end of the text, what we find is that Jesus is already playing out what He had just said again in John chapter 3, verse 16. God loves the whole world. Not just the Jews. Not just one people group, but all people groups. He's an equal opportunity Savior, and so He goes in to these people, and He is showing the love of God not just to His people, but to the whole world. Even those deemed most unworthy to hear it. A Jew would not evangelize a Samaritan. They were not looking for Samaritan proselytes into Judaism. Much less a woman of Samaria who had her reputation. They've now gone past the bottom of the barrel and are digging underneath the barrel. And they're thinking. And yet here is Jesus going into their homes to share a meal with them. To, to, to accept their hospitality. And in subtle fashion, these Samaritans in God's divine plan are setting up a very dark contrast with what follows in the rest of chapter 4. We're reminded that though these Samaritans are warm to Him and we get caught up in the moment that, that wow, what is happening? Look, look, the whole world is going to turn to Jesus. Even the Samaritans have come to Jesus. But then we're very quickly reminded that His own religious people hate Him. They want nothing to do with Him. But these Samaritans will take Him in. These people who are regarded as the outcasts of the world by the Jews, half-breeds that they want nothing to do with, Jesus goes to them. And many of them believe just by the force of the woman's testimony testifying to the Word of God. Immediately they come obediently they come with joy and great hunger for Jesus. They come, don't you wish more professing Christians would have this kind of hunger? Lord Jesus, come and stay with me for two days. Lord Jesus, teach me. I need to hear the Word of God. Well, we must know You. We need You to work among us. What a great chapter in Christian history this is. And yet it's so often overlooked. This revival among people who were considered outcast and outcast even of the outcast. And yet here is Jesus demonstrating that His Word has been true and it is powerful that He loves the world. And came not to judge the world like they were judging the Samaritans, but to save the Samaritans. And to bring redemption and life to them. And I want you to notice now, there follows the immediate force of divine revelation. The powerful demonstration of divine revelation. Now, we read that many believed in verse 39. Now look at verse 41. Many more believed. What we have here 
is an exponential factor. The, the Greek is constructed in such that it's not just a few more believed, you know, or even a lot more believed. This is really hard to quantify how many believed. That's how many came. Maybe it's close to the whole village. Maybe it's the whole village. All we know is that we are led to drive our minds to understand many, 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 many more are believing. It's expanding at a rate almost unthinkable. Notice why they believe. Because of His Word. They heard the Word of God. They, they didn't hear enough in the woman, I guess, and saying what Jesus had said to her. Now they are hearing directly from Jesus Himself. The witness of this woman was powerful, but it was not ultimate. The ultimate is found in verse 41. Now, I want to just hit pause for a moment and go down a very shallow rabbit hole. But this has been a problem in far too much of modern Christianity's attempts at evangelism. Too many attempts have tried to soften the blows, the hard blows of the Gospel that must be heard in order to be saved. They've tried to soften those and have instead focused on the story. What's your story? What's my story? In fact, it was in the early 2000s, one of the best-selling books of all time that had a lot of purpose in it <clears throat> came out and said that we would be far more effective in our evangelism if we just told our stories. It's not what the Samaritans experienced. The Samaritans experienced revival. Why? Because one woman pointed in the, to Jesus, and then when they got to Jesus, Jesus gave them more of Jesus. They weren't interested in her. They were interested in the man. That's her message, right? Come see a man. You don't need to know about me. I'm irrelevant here. I'm just proof. You need the man. Not me. You don't need my story. It's God who is central in her thinking. It is God who is central. Now listen, God may work through your story, but it is not your story that saves anyone. It is the Word of the living Christ. Verse 41, many more believed because of His Word. And maybe that's the problem with our evangelism today. There is not enough of His Word. Not enough of Christ. And too much of men. But when Jesus starts preaching His Word, the factor grows exponentially. When Christ is exalted. Isn't that what He said in John 3? Behold, when I am lifted up, I will draw. When you lift up man, you get what man can do. When you lift up Christ, you get what Christ can do. And here he is lifting himself up. Christ exalts his own person through his word. And the crowds 
come running. And many more believed. No, imagine this. Imagine taking the most powerful sermon you've ever heard. I don't know what that is or who preached it, but imagine that. And then imagine sitting at Jesus' feet for two days. You want to talk about power. I'm a little envious of these Samaritans. They didn't just go to a conference. They went to a meeting with the Son of God for two days. And heard the living Word that breathed life into this world that created all the... His, he's the one that did that. And now He's breathing life into them. And many are believing because of the Word. It is such a drastic difference even in her word from verse 39. Murray Harris has written one of the finest explanations of the Gospel of John. says, this is a large measure of difference that we're talking about between 39 and 41. And you're supposed to see that. Some believed, but many, 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 many more believed when they heard His word. And immediately we're taken back to John 1. Aren't we? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And there was not anything made that was made apart from the Word. Right? And on and on we go. And we find that He is not only the Word creating and not only the word revealing he is very god a very god he is god himself he is the light that alone can be the illumination for all men there is no light outside of jesus christ there's no hope outside of jesus there's no knowledge outside of jesus He is quite literally the source of everything. And here He is for two days. He is the embodiment of grace and truth. Now they get this part from John 1.14. Through Moses came the law. Moses was all truth. But in Jesus we have grace and truth. He's the fulfillment of everything. He is God in the flesh. He is living Word in Himself. Revealing God. Speaking life. Giving words. A force of power like no other has now descended upon this place. Hearts that were before closed and dark have now been opened up and exposed and then changed. This is exactly what Jesus had spoken of to Nicodemus the spirit in his sovereignty has now come through the word of God and multiplies the harvest and not that is what Jesus is meaning in our sermon from last week he is saying lift up your eyes do you see what's coming it's a harvest prepared by the spirit of God the word of God and it is time to reap boys get out your sickles 
Get out your bags. Prepare. Why? The Word of God is here. And it is living and it is active and it is converting. Go to Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it is stable, it is active, it makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. They make entire villages run with joy to meet Jesus. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Wherever there was darkness, there is now light. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. How do we know the fear of the Lord? By the Word of the Lord. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous all together. And all at once, this village has this power dropped upon them. More desirable than gold. Yes, then much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, but in keeping them there is great reward. Oh, these people are learning, aren't they? They're seeing this. They are experiencing this for themselves. The Word of God unleashed. Let me rewind to their history for a moment. They've got Genesis through Deuteronomy. But they've missed the beautiful pictures of Psalms. They've missed the beautiful pictures of the prophet. And now all of a sudden, they get it all in one lump sum payment. (laughs) They've got to just be flabbergasted. They haven't had the chance of being prepared like the Jews had. And what did the Jews do with it? Kicked it to the curb. But all at once, Jesus comes and He illuminates them with what they had been missing for so long. He becomes all at once to them the greatest prophet and the greatest Savior with no waiting time in between. Something He's already kind of prepared us for, remember? Because He talks in the previous passage about there's coming a day when the sower and the reaper overtake each other. They're sowing and the harvest is just coming as soon as the seed hits the ground. It's here. Because of His Word. Because of Him. And you know, the reality is nothing's changed. The method of evangelism has not changed. Belief is still brought about the same way. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? The finest and most wonderful and greatest preacher who has ever lived on the face of the earth is Jesus Christ. 
He not only speaks the word, He is the word. He speaks out of who He is. Jesus didn't study for sermons. He is the sermon. Jesus didn't have to labor to understand how the text all fits together. He is the Word. He is the author of the Word. He knows what He's written. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear unless we proclaim His words that bring life? How will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the Gospel. The good news of good things, Paul says. Down in verse 16, However, they did not all heed the good news, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Tragically, the people that knew Him best rejected Him the most. But where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Christian, we better jump on and start preaching Jesus. And preaching what Jesus preached. And lay aside every silly attempt that says it can do better. It's a lie. Preach Christ. Preach Christ's Word. Stay stay where Jesus stay. Preach what Jesus preaches. And these people receive the wonderful benefits of this. And many, 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 many believe because of His Word. I can't wait to find out someday how many that was. You know, we get to be in heaven with these people. That's exciting, isn't it? The same people here are our family waiting for us on the other side. How, would, how did that look? What was that like? Jesus fulfills what Isaiah talked about. So will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. So Christian, keep proclaiming. God's Word cannot and will not return void. It will, he says, accomplish what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. It will accomplish that. It will do what Jesus said it would do. It would bring life. The very source of sustenance that Jesus, remember in Matthew 4, we talked about this last week, Satan saying, hey, why don't you eat a little bread, Jesus? And Jesus says to him, what? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. The very source of sustenance that Jesus proclaims to the face of Satan becomes the source of true food and true life to these people. He speaks, he teaches, he preaches, he proclaims, and the word works. 
Now in a room this size, there are a number of us in here this morning who we have proclaimed the word to people and they have not listened. And our hearts are heavy. Don't be discouraged. The word works. In different times, in different ways, in different seasons, don't become discouraged. But Brian, I don't have a great story. I wasn't like the Apostle Paul. I didn't kill any Christians. I didn't persecute any churches. Who's going to listen to my story? I'm not even the woman at the well. Who's going to listen to me? That's not the point. The point is Christ. The point is Christ. Are you weary that no one believes your story? That's because you're trying to tell your story, not his story. Proclaim him. He proclaims himself. Shouldn't we follow our master's example? Now notice the response. In closing. They say to the woman. So they they believe because of his word and then they turn and they were saying to the woman. This is a perpetual statement. You know, it's kind of like a receiving line, like the preacher at the back door. Everybody walks out on Sunday morning and shakes his hand and says, you all always say nice things to me and you encourage my heart and I appreciate that. And so it's this woman, she's standing at the back of the room and her friends are leaving and just keeps coming, keeps coming. And they're shaking in her hand and notice what they say to her. It's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we heard for ourselves and know that this one indeed is the Savior of the world. We're not belittling what you say. It wasn't that we didn't believe you. It's just that we really believe Him. You know, parents, what it's like you tell your kids over and over and over and over something and and it's kind of like you're just hitting a wall sometimes. Sometimes that happens as pastors too. And then someday they come to you, the same people you've been telling something to over and over again. Guess what I discovered? And you just smile and you say, that's great. I'm so thankful. They're doing the same thing. It wasn't that we didn't believe you, but guess what we found out? We heard the word. So they're consoling her. And they're kind of telling her like, at the same time, we know Christ did this. It wasn't really you, but, but don't be offended by the fact that it wasn't you. And I guarantee you, she's not offended by that. She's thrilled that they met Jesus. They're not belittling her. They're affirming what she heard, now they've heard. And thank you for the invitation. Thank you for, for, for exhorting us to come to Jesus. One commentator says this, her story fades away before the word of Jesus. She just exemplifies what John said in John 3.30. I must decrease. He must increase. That's all that's happening here. And now their faith in Christ is based on more than merely her testimony. It is the word that they have heard. Now I want you to lastly, very quickly in closing, see that last phrase in verse 42. Notice the scope of it. Many, 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 many have believed, but it's not going to stop there. Notice their own testimony. We know that this one indeed is the Savior of the world. 
Samaria is just the jumping off place. This Christ, this Word is so powerful that it is going to spread through all the world. And we know that now. We know that. We're convinced that in India and Russia and Africa and someday America, although they wouldn't have known that, all over the world, this man will be exalted as the only Savior for the world. That, that All they're doing is preparing us for what John will write at the end of his life. Here he is at the beginning. Towards the end, when he writes, I saw a vision. I was caught up on the Lord's day. And as he is in heaven and as he is watching, what does he hear and see? People from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And don't you know that as John writes that in Revelation, that he is thinking back to the confession of a bunch of pagans from Samaria in his first gospel, his first letter. This man is indeed the Savior for all the world. He will be the Redeemer for all men. Whether Jew or Samaritan or Greek or anything in between, this man's word is powerful. And it will save the world. Christ is the Savior for all and any who will believe. There is no distinction, as Paul would say, between the Jew and the Greek. Between the young or the old, the rich or the poor, the male or the female, the bond or the free. There is no distinction. Christ saves them all. Pharisee or woman of ill repute, He saves them all. We're sitting here this morning. And this crowd that came to Jesus becomes to us what the woman was to them. Ones who are proclaiming Christ through their testimony. They're good preachers. They're good proclaimers. This is moving to hear. But unless you believe, their faith will not save you. Their story cannot save you. Their heritage cannot save you. Their tradition will not save you. Any more than the woman's story could have saved them. And so not only is this a motivation for Christians to proclaim Christ, it is an admonition and a warning that you too must believe. It's not enough for your parents to believe, your grandparents to have believed, this church to believe, all your friends to believe, unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, you are lost in your sins. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. You must come and hear His Word and believe. Have you? Have you? Don't rest on another's testimony. Have one of your own. 
that repeats the words of verse 41, we believe because of His Word. Because we find Him true. What power. Christ's power can and must change all of us. By the Spirit's work in us, and by the grace of God, He can and He will. Let's pray. Father, send Your Spirit now to preach a greater sermon than I could ever preach. Because as God, He best preaches Christ. Holy Spirit, preach Christ to every one of our minds and our hearts. As Jesus tells us in John 6 in the forthcoming verses, no man can come to the Father except through Him. Except through You. No man comes unless He's drawn. So draw sinners, Holy Spirit, to the Father through the Son. Convince them of their sin as You did for this woman. Convince them of Jesus Christ. Deity and His humanity and His work on their behalf convince them and grant them faith to believe, we pray. And let all of us leave here this morning saying we came and we believed this morning afresh and new because of His Word. And we are convinced of this that He is the Savior of the world. And may we not go out in pride but may we go out in humility that You would reveal such glorious truths to sinners such as us. And yet may we go forth with a confidence that we know and we have been in the presence of Him who created all things, even the life that is within us. Through the forgiveness of our own sins. May we be confident and quick to tell others. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.